Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today is part two of my interview with my new friend, Michael T. Cooper. He's written this incredible book, Ephesiology. I'm actually going through it the second time. The first time I read it on Kindle, and it's a little hard to take notes that you're going to make useful. Uh, This time I'm going through it on paper, and I'm going through it very slowly. There's a lot of stuff in this book. Uh, Michael is an incredible man. He is a practitioner who is also a scholar. Spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, a lot of time particularly uh, launching a movement in Romania, uh, that has changed the face of that country. But he comes to this thing with the, the, the mindset of a theologian, but the practicality and the pragmatism of a practitioner. I really am feasting on the stuff that I'm getting out of Michael, and I hope that you will as well. Enjoy this. You know, the title pastor to me is a problem. I, I, I've been called pastor, and then I was called senior pastor. And then I was called lead pastor. But every one of those titles invested in one individual uh, pretty much negates uh, Ephesians 4. Because if I am the pastor, um, we're ignoring all the rest of the pastors in the body. Because there are these people who have these gifts. And they, and they in, the, in the secular world, in a secular sense, they pastor people. I know of tattoo parlors that are churches without Jesus and they have a pastor and mm. have, they have relationships. They have everything but the gospel, uh, but that person is gifted and that's why that happened. And, but not only if, if I'm the pastor, have I nullified all of the pastors in the body, but I've also nullified all the other gifts because everything else is minor. You know, I came up in, in a world where, uh, the the prevailing winds, there were a lot of people who, they call it fivefold ministry. I have the fivefold ministry. In other words, I'm the apostle, I'm the prophet, I'm the evangelist, I'm, you know, I'm the hot dog. And that for sure just puts everybody else sitting in the chair doing nothing but listening. And, and so we've turned church into a spectator thing. And, it, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot, and it's a hobby horse with me, to be honest. But if I was to go back into it, I retired four or five years ago. If I was to go back into it, I would want to be called the lead disciple maker because that would force the responsibility on me to be making disciples. And that term would suggest that everybody in the church is also a disciple maker. And then we'd start looking for those Ephesians 4 gifts, which I think are, are, are paramount. If we don't have all of that functioning, we're not functioning on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. It's it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that many of us are observing in movements in South Asia, in particular, but generally in movements around the world, is that they tend to focus on the catalytic gifts of apostle, prophet, and evangelist, and we're recognizing that they're weak in the shepherd 
shepherd and teaching gifts. And in fact, the, what's happening as a result is that th those bodies that are started very quickly uh, over time, they uh, will disappear. Um, in the United States, as you know, we're the exact opposite, where the shepherd and the teacher is really emphasized and the catalytic gifts are, are not. In fact, they, they often look at each other as competing against each other. And so I 100% I agree with you, Ralph, that and it, it's at that point where we see that APEST uh, gifting functioning together that's where we see the church in a genuine expression of the church. I, I think as, as Jesus has intended. You know, I grew up in a, in a world where I, I was constantly battling with this kind of cessationist philosophy that said that uh, the, the, there were no apostles today, that all spiritual gifts died with the, the death of the last of the, of the 11. And, um, and, and then along comes Alan Hirsch and writes mm -hmm. this incredible book, the, the Forgotten Ways. And it's like he's restored to the church in that one simple book so much that we had lost. And um, so much of, of what we're seeing today, I think, is a, a product of the, the, the restoration of, of those gifts. And, you know, I, Alan's very prolific. And... He's written a lot of books, but I would put your book, Ephesiology, right up there uh, next to The Forgotten Ways. If, if somebody is impressed, somebody listening to this, is and, I, and I, don't, I don't do this lightly, I really think that, that that's a worthwhile read because it really points us. It, it's, a, it's like a next step for us who are, are relearning church and how to do church. Um, I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll see what Alan says. Alan and I. I are, are very good friends. Um, I'm actually surprised I haven't heard from him in a text yet, but uh, I'll let him know that you and I have been talking. But yeah, the, the, the whole idea behind Ephesiology was to paint the picture of the church in Ephesus. It, 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 you know this, Ralph, that more than 40% of the New Testament has a direct connection to the church in Ephesus. Yeah. And I wanted to, to think about well, what would it look like if we were to draw all of those stories together and really see laid out chronologically, historically, and culturally what that church was wrestling with and, and what it looked like, that that would give us a good understanding of uh, how we might conceptualize movements today in, in church planting and our efforts of evangelism and discipleship. And I, I hope I did that in, in the book. At least that was the heart of it in the attempt uh, at it. Um, and two, I'm hoping that the book will give us a, a uh, more, I, I suppose, biblical understanding of what the church is. Uh, one of the weaknesses that we see in movements today is that they, they don't have a good understanding of ecclesiology. And largely because they've just simply adopted what has come to them from the missionary or, or what they've, they've observed on uh, YouTube or, or something like that. And so um, one of the issues that I'm trying to address in the book is helping us to think about what is an adaptive ecclesiology 
And what would a church naturally look like if it were born in the soil uh, of the culture? And, uh, and so in some ways that, you know, we want to adapt the forms of that church while preserving the functions. So, and then I, I think secondly, one of the uh, issues that I wanted to address is uh, helping us to think about gospel proclamation in different cultures. Um, one of the concerns that I have is that, th- that we tend to export a Western understanding of evangelism. And, uh, and, and by asking that question that I posed earlier, uh, or those two questions, you know, what does the good, what is the good news in a culture? And it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to discover the bad news of that culture, but genuinely, what are people asking? What, what are their, what are the issues that they're wrestling with and struggling with? And how is it that Jesus can meet them in a special way, just like he does in the church in Ephesus and in the culture of Ephesus? Um, and that's one of the reasons why I, I love the gospel of John so much. And I, I write about this a little bit uh, in the book, that John's gospel is really a gospel that is connecting Jesus's stories with specific cultural issues that are going on in uh, Ephesus. And uh, he does just a beautiful job of showing who Jesus is, juxtaposed, for example, to Artemis and uh, uh, Dionysus and and so on, Um, showing how Jesus cares for women, like at the women, the woman at the well, uh, just as he cares for those women who are being exploited in Ephesus uh, for sexual favors and, and so on. And so just over and over and over again in the Gospel of John, He's connecting Jesus's stories with the stories of the people in Ephesus in such a way that they they understand, they get who Jesus is and what he means to them. And that's why we see, you know, uh, Luke say twice in Acts 19 that every resident of uh, Asia had heard the word of the Lord. Um, and that, that's been my prayer. That's my prayer for our neighborhood where we live, that every resident would hear the word of the Lord. And I think that's a good prayer for us wherever we are in the world, that God would work in such a way that every resident would hear. And and if he would use us to do that, what an honor and privilege that would be. You know, as you speak um, about culture and and how these things relate, we, we I spent a lot of time in Japan. We've started a bunch of churches there. And f- for many years, we, we preached the gospel of um, redemption from sin. And then we sort of stumbled into talking about shame because Japan is, is not a guilt culture. It's a shame culture. And how, how Jesus uh, can, can rescue you from shame, how he can cover shame in your life. And, and you can hold your head up again. And the response was amazing. It's just, it's so mm-hmm. different. But I found the thing that I'm always railing about, I was doing. I, w- I was superimposing Western forms uh, on an Eastern uh, church uh, or an Eastern culture. I have a friend recently who is has begun, uh, if, if he meets with uh, people who he's discipling who are not yet followers of Christ, 
he will come up with questions that are are a little off the wall, but they they really drive to the heart of what we're talking about. One one of his deals is to get people to to look at the story of the demoniac of Gadara, of of all things, and then go, if there is a God, what do you think he's trying to tell us today by putting that story in his book? And so Mm -hmm. he makes room for whatever their belief is by saying, if there is a God. And then he he takes a, a, a story of of um, great great spiritual victory, great compassion, um, a, a, a story where Jesus isn't trying to gather disciples to himself. He's he sends a guy back to his community. All, all of these aspects of this story, and then he 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 lets the person contextualize that story in their own way, in their own words. I think there's super wisdom in in approaching things. A lot differently than we have. I, th- I think so too, and it, you know, it takes hard work uh, yeah. to do that. It's so easy for us just to export, you know, the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or whatever, because that's what we've been raised on, and that's what we know. But the hard work of a missionary is really understanding the culture and uh, and seeing. Th- the gospel expressed in a way that can be understood there rather than imposing what we think that uh, they need to hear. I wanted to connect with you just because of what you've been doing and, and uh, love would love to explore uh, even if there are ways that we might be able to connect to, to uh, or if there are intersections and the things that we're doing, um, I, I love that you've been all around the world, and uh, so I'm excited to to uh, follow in your footsteps in some of those places here before too long. Um, I'll be, Lord willing, in Nepal, uh, working with a, a group of churches there in different parts. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to explore about uh, ways in which we might be able to collaborate and and uh see the kingdom advance i have a friend there that i'd like to connect you with i can't name him on this podcast uh, for obvious reasons but uh it would be really nice if you could get to know him i met him through a group called asian access and actually we've worked together quite a bit his wife currently is dying of lou gehrig's disease so he's in a hard spot but in many ways, the government has deemed him the Protestant Pope of Nepal. And that's mm-hmm. actually brought him under persecution. He he had to live from house to house for a while because he's a very wealthy man. He's a land developer who has, uh, the last time we actually talked numbers, he was at my house two months ago, and we didn't even talk about mm-hmm. numbers. Because when you're doing this, numbers aren't that important. Uh, are are yeah. we making disciples? That's what's important. And right. so the last time that we talked, that they, they had planted over 700 churches. The last time that wow. we talked numbers. Uh, and excuse me, I got that wrong. His church that he leads is about 700 people. They had planted over 160 churches. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he he, uh, he 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 was actually on TV with the president of the country. President asking, we know that Buddhists have given you a hard time. Uh, the president is a socialist, um, actually a Maoist. 
and mm-hmm. there had been a revolution in the in 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 Nepal and um in in as while this was going on and the battling was going on the churches treated wounded soldiers and wounded revolutionaries equally and that wow. that that paid off down the road so here's this godless man wanting to look after the christians who are being persecuted by hindus and this church actually on their large campus which you can only visit he can't preach there every week because there are threats on his life but the last time that i was there they had built this large uh room-sized building in the in the middle of their courtyard and asked what is that because that's a freezer and the reason for the freezer was that if if they if they have a funeral the hindus will will dig up the body and throw it in the village square. And so uh-huh. if there if there's a Christian who dies in their network, they 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 put them in the freezer and then they'll hold a, a memorial service and then they put them back in the freezer and then later on they go bury them someplace in the forest. So mm-hmm. um it, it, almost anybody that you're talking with will know him. Um so that if you get a chance to know him it's it's a yeah, worthwhile acquaintance. I'll, I'll, I'll ask uh, about him. Um, I'm working there with the National Evangelical Alliance, but they have another name. And we'll be doing some uh, equipping of, of pastors. That's one of the things, Ralph, that I don't know what your experience has been, but, but uh, one of the weaknesses that we see of movements is that we're not really doing a good job in theological education. And that's become a passion of mine. I mean, it breaks my heart. If if the data is true and that 50,000 people are baptized every day, that means we need 100 equipped pastors, at least, to, to pastor those, those new believers. And there's no way that we're doing that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're appointing people to give leadership to churches that, bless their hearts, they're doing the best that they can without the resources that they need. And so we're, we're trying to help in any way that we can to provide some uh, theological education. Yeah, too often, um, well, my experience with Asian Access is we're going in on top of the work of other people who've gone in without those resources. And, and so we're having to go in and and, and backtrack. The one thing I think we did Mm -hmm. right in the hope chapels uh, was that it was, it was all discipleship based and, uh, and the theological education came inside of the mother church. Now there were places I'm sure that broke down, but we, you know, as we, as we trained, we, you know, one guy who had graduated from Fuller, and ended up a mailman. He he went into ministry in Hawaii just before we moved there. But he was a friend of mine from the mainland while he was in seminary. And in fact, attended our church, but he went with another denomination. And it blew up. The, the, the pastor shouldn't have been a pastor. And he went mm-hmm. in as an associate. He got wounded really badly. But um, he came to me one day and he goes, you know, you've made me read more books than I ever read in Fuller. Um, but he had been with us for many years and, and we would together read about four books a year, all of our, anybody that was, uh, leading one of our micro churches inside the congregation, we we're reading these books together. And then when they went out the door, that was the training model. And so it just, wow. it, was, it was just on the job ongoing 
kind of a training. So it, wow. it served us pretty well. Um, you know, we, we kind of always looked at Acts 19, Paul in the school of Tyrannus. We, we didn't try to build a school. We thought he was there, you know, talking with disciples and, and we tried to mm-hmm. model that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. I actually see, think that that school was at the temple of Artemis. Ah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty determined that that's where it was. And I think it might've been actually a school that was started by uh, Heraclitus, uh, who's a sixth century uh, philosopher from Ephesus. And he's the one, if you recall in the book, he's the one uh, that first articulates the Lagos philosophy. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm getting too geeky. <laughs> well, we need that. We need that. As we wind this thing down, I want to ask you, I always do, uh, is there a way that people can, can after reading the book, they can go a little further. I know you have a website. Uh, maybe they want to contact you. I'm not sure how much of that information you want to put out. But uh, a- after reading the book, where I go next? Well, we have we do have websites. Uh, ephesiology.com is our main website. Uh, we do a podcast as well each week, the Ephesiology Podcast, and you can find that on any of the podcast apps. Um, but we also do masterclasses uh, at masterclasses.ephesiology.com, where uh, we've pulled together, I think, some of the uh, I hope at least there, at least I like to believe that there's some of the leading movement thinkers in, in the world. Uh, Alan uh, teaches a course with us uh, on our master classes, Jeff Christofferson and, and many others, where we're trying to help us to get a good biblical grounding for our soteriology and our ecclesiology and our leadership. And um, and so that can be found at uh, masterclasses.ephesiology.com. And then, of course, we're on all the social media platforms, too. Ephesiology is a unique word. And so if you type it in into Google, uh, most likely you're going to get a hit on one of the things that we're doing. Well, good. Thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Well, I'm grateful, Ralph. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.